Welcome back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape rewatch podcast on the Incomparable Network. Tonight, we're covering Season 1, Episode 19, Nerve, and Episode 20, The Hidden Memory. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always is my fellow co-host, just some guy I met in a detention cell in a secret peacekeeper base, Jason Johnson. Just a second, uh, I'm going to remove my mask and share this memory with you that I've kept with me for a long time, or at least for the last week since I've seen this episode, and uh, just ignore the, the glowing part of my face. We'll be all right. Yeah, can you go back to your little happy place and relax? Yes, it's beautiful there. So I guess before we jump into the episodes, uh, we were sort of close in guessing about uh, what these episodes might be about. It was about nerves, kind of. Well, actually, yes. And they did sprinkle in a clip show in these both episodes. I called that one by accident, so there we go. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming, so you, you nailed that one. But at least it wasn't like a full clip show where they're saving time, so it was you know, part and parcel of the show, which is kind of cool. Yeah, bonus points for not making us sit through that. Yeah. All right, so let's dive on into it. Season 1, Episode 19, Nerve. Aaron has discovered that the wound she suffered following the stepping by the rock last couple episodes was worse than originally thought. The knife pierced her peripheral nerve. And for those of you keeping score at home, that's another name drop of the episode, more or less. We'll, we'll count that as a name drop. Uh, because that nerve does not regenerate when damaged, within 50 or 60 arns, she will be dead. The only method of healing is a tissue graft from a compatible donor, so Creighton comes up with a plan. Posing as the rock, he plans to infiltrate the gamut base that Larock and his team were headed to, last episode, or two episodes ago, using the coordinates that Moya was given. Reluctantly, the rest of the crew agree and try to save Aaron. Tiana volunteers her services as a distraction, and away they go. When they get to the base, Crate manages to talk his way onto it, but when they dock, they are met by guards. Uh, he uses Larock's ident chip and passes through the security checkpoint, and he and Tiana proceed to the base's bar, of course, because that's where you go, to acquire information. Tiana is flirting with everybody she comes across, while John talks to Commander Javio, the commander of the base. Eventually, an unnamed ominous figure appears, and Javier looks a little worried and leaves Crichton and calls over Tiana. Tiana reveals that she is behaving like she is a distraction to draw attention away from John. As the two proceed to the temporary quarters, Crichton is required to give more ID verification, but this time, in addition to the identity chip, he must also submit to a genetic verification. Amazingly, especially to Crichton, he passes the verification. They go past that checkpoint, and further on, he's called aside by a female peacekeeper. It's Jelena. Remember her? The PK Tech Girl from the PK Tech Girl episode. Good name drop there. That's right. You can name drop the episode. Yeah. Uh, she's been reassigned from Crace's command carrier to the Gamic base to work on a top secret project, which she's assuming is a weapons development project. She's the one who overrode the security, and she agrees to help John in his quest to save Aaron. Back on Moya, Rigel is pestering Aaron until Darger interrupts, and she tells Darger that if she cannot die in battle, then she wishes to die alone. Zan tells Dargo later that she can do nothing to save Aaron, merely ease her through her pain. The toxins and poisons that have built up in Aaron's body will kill her, and Zan does not have the means to filter them out. But Dargo, for some reason, reveals that Moya has that capability. More on that in a minute. Back on the base, Javio is now flirting with Chiana, and he offers her the chance to stay with him for double what Larox is paying her, and she says that she'll think it over. Meanwhile, Jelena tells John that there's a new way of healing the peripheral nerve, and she's gotten the medics to synthesize peripheral tissue that can save Aaron. So she gives it to John. They share a heartwarming goodbye, and she remarks that all they ever do is say goodbye. As John is leaving, he passes an ominous figure, a peacekeeper named Scorpius, who is able to tell just by looking at him that he's an imposter, and orders the guards to seize him. Fortunately, before Crichton is subdued by the guards, he manages to leave the dose of tissue sample in a small gap in a nearby wall. Scorpius puts Crichton in something called the Aurora Chair, 
a device that can extract memories from people and display them on a screen, hence the clip show. Scorpius wants to know who John really is and whom he's working for. Crichton attempts to continue the charade, so Scorpius begins the memory extraction, which causes Crichton extreme pain. Back on Moya, Zan and Dargo have hooked up Aaron to Moya, so Moya can filter out the toxins in Aaron's blood to slow her death. Back on the surface, Chiana and Jelena discover that Crichton's been captured, and they try to find him. Javio has done some checks on the missing Leviathan, and relays the information on Moya, and the escape prisoners to Scorpius. Scorpius finds memories of Crichton's encounters with Kreis. Javio recognizes him, telling Scorpius that Moya escaped from Kreis's convoy. Seeing that Kreis holds Crichton responsible for the death of his brother, and swore revenge, Scorpius realizes that Kreis ignored orders to abandon the search and broadcasts a broad spectrum message telling of the prisoner, knowing that Kreis will pick it up and return to collect his prey. So much for the secret base, huh? Yeah, unless it's a peacekeeper frequency, then in which case maybe it's well, it was broad spectrum, so who knows? We'll see. Uh, more memories are ripped from John, revealing his recent encounter with the Ancients. Uh, they see the encounter where Crichton and the Ancient masquerading as his father are talking. However, the scene being displayed is not one that Crichton consciously remembers. The Ancient Jack has decided to give Crichton wormhole technology. However, he believed that if Crichton wasn't smart enough to use it properly, then he doesn't deserve it. So as well as ensuring that Crichton didn't remember that part of their encounter, the Ancients implanted the wormhole knowledge in his subconscious, and they say that he must discover it himself. But what they have done will be enough to help him continue on the right path to find it. This, oddly enough, makes Scorpius very happy, since the secret project of the Gamic base is to research wormhole technology. Kind of a coincidence. Uh, causing Crichton to laugh at the irony. Then uh, Scorpius lets John recuperate before their next session. They dump Crichton in a cell, where he meets another person uh, called Stark, who has been in the chair so much that it has driven him insane. Uh, and he calls the chair his own, his personal chair. Back on Moya, the treatment is stopping Aaron from deteriorating further, but she's not getting any better. She is still conscious, and when she asks about it, Zan tells her that it was Pilot's idea for the treatment, as Dargo didn't want Zan to tell her it was his idea. Uh, he respects Aaron's words that she wants to die alone, although he does not believe them. Zan tells him she doesn't believe them either, but he did the right thing. Suddenly, Moya trembles as she starts to have contractions, indicating that she's close to giving birth, and that causes harm to Aaron, so the treatments have to be stopped. Back on the Gamic base, Jelena and Chiana hook into main control and see that Kreis has arrived. Stark is in the chair when he shows up and demands to see Crichton instead. Scorpius says he can have him once he's finished with him, even though the chair may kill him. Kreis can't really argue, as Scorpius knows that he's gone renegade from Peacekeeper Command. Uh, Jelena finally discovers that John's in a cell and patches through communication. John reveals the location of the tissue sample and tells Chiana to fetch it and get it to Aaron immediately and forget about him. Kreis enters the cell and they stop talking to Jelena. And Jelena asks Chiana why John won't save himself and asks if it's because he loves Aaron. Chiana says, no, of course not. He loves Jelena. And Moya's crew will come back for John and her. Uh, back in the cell, the happy reunion with Kreis and Crichton. Kreis tells Crichton that he's captured Moya and her crew and that he will let them go if John stops resisting the chair and gives himself up. John pretty much knows he's lying, so he asks if the crew are all okay. Kreis says, yep, they're all in full health, and Crichton pretty much confirms the fact that he knew that he was lying through his teeth. Back with Selina and Chiana, Selina covers up Chiana's escape by rigging a rector overload, which triggers alarms across the base for evacuation. Chiana manages to get the sample of the tissue, but on her way to the prowler, she meets Javio, and in a kind of a little firefight, uh, she manages to basically torch him to death. Firefight. And <laughs> escape. Yeah, firefight. <laughs> The literal definition of firefight. Uh, she returns to Moya, and Aaron's injected with this peripheral tissue. She has to see Crichton, but the others don't reveal his capture and says that she will see him soon. And they leave while Dargo watches over her. 
back on the base, John is put back into the chair uh, when Scorpius is told of the missing Prowler. Uh, he realizes it's been a diversion and wants to know who triggered it. When he says uh, he doesn't know, Scorpius turns and says that John will tell him who it was. To be continued, dot, dot, dot. Yes, it's our first two-parter. There was so much to cram into here that we couldn't fit it all in one episode. Uh, some trivia about this first part. Kent McCord, who played uh, John's father, Jack, or the alien, ancient Jack, in the previous episode, shot those scenes in the flashback on the screen while they were filming that episode, A Human Reaction, a couple episodes ago. And uh, as I just kind of said, Nerve is the first episode of Farscape to end with To Be Continued. The original concept of Scorpius was an insectoid who would have appeared earlier in the first season. Paul Goddard, the actor who played Stark, uh, researched Jack Nicholson's performance in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Brad Pitt's performance in Twelve Monkeys to play Stark's badness. One of the creators, Rockney O'Bannon, had noted that the line that John says about the comfy chair was definitely scripted. The original plan was to use the Aurora chair to show a lot of clips from the past, hence the clip show reference, so they could get a lot of mileage out of the old episodes. Another producer would refer to it as the clip chair, and O'Bannon would refer to it as the comfy chair. Calling it the clip chair was too much of an inside joke, so they couldn't do that, but they all did the reference to the comfy chair from Monty Python. And when the scriptwriter turned in the script, he said that Crichton should say, fetch the comfy chair, which he actually did. Uh, when Crichton was being interrogated by Scorpius, Scorpius comments on the vast array of races Crichton has seen in a short time in this side of the universe. However, one of the races shown was not directly seen by Crichton, but by Rigel instead, the uh, alien Rigel conversed with in the very first episode of Farscape on the Commerce Planet. And finally, uh, Chiana's killing of Javio marks the first time she is shown unambiguously taking a life. So before it was kind of obviously ambiguous that you know she killed um, Salas, I think, her the person that was keeping her prisoner. And so we weren't quite sure. But this time, flat out, she totally flambays Javio. So a lot of stuff to talk about. But uh, first off, what what do you think about this episode, the first of two parts? Yeah. So I think we got a, a really good uh, two-parter, uh, which is you know kind of obvious, but you know they crammed a lot in. We got. Character development, we got characters re brought back, we got, you know, PK Tech Girl, we've got a, a lot of callbacks. This was probably the most heavily callback episode I think we've seen. You kind of had to know the players to get it, or you'd have been pretty lost for most of the episode. Yeah, I mean, if, if you didn't know some of the inside stuff, like with Crace and some other things, they, they did kind of try to, I guess, help new watchers by maybe giving like a sentence or two explanation, like, oh, or showing you, like, oh, it's Crace's brother, got killed by Crichton, that's why he's there. But, you know, you didn't really have to know who Jelena was or The Rock or how Aaron got injured last episode. So it wasn't exactly too hard to follow along if you hadn't seen much of, much of it before. But if you did, like we have, then you're like, oh, wow, look at that. Oh, they did that. Oh, there's that person. Yeah, and I definitely meant that in a positive, right? I mean, they, they could have taken this as an opportunity to use, like you, you kind of mentioned, an entire clip episode or clip-based episode. And use that as a catch-up, right? If they just spend a whole episode showing clips, then you can bring new viewers up to speed. And instead of doing that, they kind of threw a couple clips in. But you kind of, you kind of, and like you said, you could, you could probably follow along, but it helped a lot to know all the players. Yeah, and the way they did it was a nicer way of doing a clip show where it was kind of like on a little tiny screen versus like they just cut the full screen and they have the memories, which obviously because it's a clip show, they're showing what they filmed. It's like, it's never from the person's eyes who's rem remembering because they always see themselves full body, you know, <laughs> but hey, what are you gonna do? Right. Right. And speaking of the episode title, Nerve, kind of seems like that Sebastian peripheral, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Nerve kind of does like the same thing that our human kidneys do. They filter out your toxins from your blood, which is kind of a nice way to remind you that, you know, while Aaron looks human, she definitely isn't. 
yeah, uh, you know, we especially as we start getting back into a peacekeeper base with a lot of peacekeepers moving around, it's good to remember that, you know, even though they look like humans and we kind of read them as humans, they're not. E- even down to the fact that they call something a nerve, which seems more like an organ, but you know, it works different different physiology somehow. Yeah, and and I guess a human must be different enough to a peacekeeper that when Scorpius just passed him in the hallway, somehow he knew that he wasn't a peacekeeper, like a sebation or something. So. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot about Scorpius, and we could probably hit that in a little bit, but yeah, that we don't know. And he seemed to be ha- have an ability to identify humans that are non peacekeepers that the rest of them didn't seem to have because nobody else even batted an eye. Yeah, and he's not exactly a peacekeeper. Well, like, we'll find out who he is later or what he is later, but yeah, he's not exactly looks sebation, so maybe he's got some kind of special senses or something or whatever. Who knows? That's a mystery. Uh, then when they get, do get to the base, uh, of course, if you want to find out anything and everything going on in a top secret base, go to the bar because that's where everybody hangs out, I guess. Because if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, what else are you going to do but hang out at the bar? Yeah, if, if Star Trek taught us anything, you got to go to the bar. I mean, that's the whole, you know, 10 forward was the place to be, and this is just their version. But no bar fight, though, unfortunately. No, it was there. We just didn't see it. It got, it got cut, you know. I'm sure it was there. Yeah, you know, it's it an action-packed episode. They just cut the bar fight scene out because, you know. I can speak of another intense scene. It kind of surprised me when, when Crichton had to do that DNA check. Until they explained it later, I didn't quite figure out how they had, how he had passed it. I was kind of thinking maybe they knew about it because, you know, Aaron was a peacekeeper, so she might know about their security. So they might have kind of tried to create something to bypass that DNA scan. Or, you know, they got Rock's DNA from the knife he stabbed Aaron with. And then they used that to, like, make, like, those fake fingerprints like they have in the spy movies, you know, to fool fingerprint scanners or something. But... Yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out how they, you know, coded his hands in genetic material or something. But then I was like, well, there's probably not enough material left after he, you know, exploded everywhere. Blew him, so. blew him up, yeah. <laughs> Blowed him up real good. Uh, and then, you know, it's pretty much mostly Peacekeeper and Crichton-specific episode. But when we do go back to the ship, it's nice that Rigel is still Rigel. He's hanging around Aaron, who's dying. And he's wanting to get her stuff when she dies. So, you know, at least he's consistent, right? That's right. He has a, a specific pattern, specific set of skills. Rigel's going to Rigel. And, and, you know, speaking of that, it's kind of neat because I thought, I was just thinking about this, that both these episodes kind of give us a peek into how consistent our characters are, right? Because you mentioned he's consistent in going back after stuff when people die. And we also get some consistency in Dago's reaction to Aaron being hurt, right? He's he's bonded with her as a fellow warrior. And so we get his reaction to, to helping her out in this episode. And then we get his actions in the next episode, which we'll get to in a minute, but he he both consistently acts like himself. So I think Dargo also gives us an idea of moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's still honorable towards her. He's, you know, obviously they're, I guess, friends now because they've been through 19 prior episodes worth of stuff. You know, so he's trying to honor what she wants. Then she wants to die alone. But at the same time, he's like, well, maybe I'll give Crichton some time and make her die slowly. So, hey, here's an idea. How about we hook her up to Moya and siphon off some of her toxins? But, you know, at least worst case, if it didn't work out, then he was still on her wishes, right? Yeah, but we've come a long way from the first couple episodes where everybody wants to leave everybody at the drop of a hat, you know, just leave them behind. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, the only good peacekeeper is a dead peacekeeper to, you know, Dargo in the beginning, at least now, the only good peacekeeper is a dead peacekeeper, except for this one right here that I've bonded with. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, this this thing was, you know, obviously jam-packed, like we had said in in, in the recap. I mean, it's just, just go, 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 right? There's no, like, downtime. So there's kind of a lot of, like, tell, don't show stuff i guess to conserve screen time where jelena just kind of gives Crichton the magic peripheral nerve drugs oh yeah i talked to the scientists and i got that for you here you go 
yeah, I mean, maybe we could have shown a little bit more of that, maybe, or I don't know. It just seemed like here, this is that that major plot point done. Yeah, and it, like you say, they kind of hand wave it at the same tip of the time. You kind of get it, kind of shows almost real, right off the hand bat. It tips the hand that that's not going to be the major issue, right? I mean, you know that that they were too too close to the beginning for John to get clean escape, and so by hand waving that away and giving him the the antidote or whatever we're going to call the the tissue, and he's he's happy and goes on his way i was like okay so either china's gonna get you know stuck and can't get away or and he's gonna have to come back for her or in this case he got caught but you knew you knew it was gonna be too easy because that was just too quick in and out yeah and then we'll we'll lose our fun of this episode and next spoiler alert of the fun time with scorpius and the aurora chair comfy chair yeah, the comfy chair. The comfy aurora chair. Which is kind of cool. And, you know, if you want to tell someone's lying or not, the best way to do it is to show their memories, right? So hook them up to a chair and unfortunately forcibly extract their memories because I guess even if you wanted to give them something, it still hurts like crap, apparently. So, and it's a good chance to like overreact and play it up for your for you actors. So it's always fun, I guess, for them to, you know, choose some scenery and act like they're in intense pain and, you know, squint a lot and sweat. Yeah, as science fiction has taught us, any memory extraction has to hurt. That's just the rule. Yeah, that's the trope, I guess. And I guess something we do actually learn about from those memories, calling back to that couple episodes prior, is that the uh, ancient who was acting as Jack's father in that one kind of pseudo-holodecky kind of experience uh, actually, for some reason, gave John wormhole knowledge. But they put it into a subconscious for some reason. Because I guess they didn't want to reveal it and obviously let that play out. I guess if he's worthy or if he can figure it out, then maybe he can get back home. Yeah, that's not going to come back at all. You know, I mean, I'm sure wormholes are just going to be passing fad here in this show. So, Yeah, and of course, the, the stunning coincidence that the magic secret project they're working on at this base in the middle of nowhere that was right by Crichton and his friends was to study wormholes. Which, you know, to give them credit, that at least makes sense. If you're going to study wormholes, and the only place we've seen wormholes other than John's ship was the um, from Earth was the Unknown Regions, right? So it's in the right place. Yeah, that's where most of them have shown up at is uh, here versus, I guess, the first one, which was wherever they were when they first popped up into, or when he first popped through from Earth. But yeah, we'll call the that other, the known regions. Yeah, the, the other, yeah, the the charted territories. Charted ter- <laughs> that's right. I'm sorry, it wrong. Not yeah, the charted territories. So we're kind of introduced to our our big baddie Scorpius in these two episodes. You like I mentioned before that you kind of knew he was part of the series in general, and this is the first time we actually saw him. Um, and I, I know him obviously from you know future shows I can remember. He does. I don't even know much about him backstory wise. So it, it does kind of seem like he's kind of higher in the peacekeeper hierarchy than say Kreis, because Kreis is kind of scared of him or kind of more deferential to him than like to a, a, like a, a fellow captain like Javio or that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure you know where he came into the series. Uh, obviously here, but you know from, from my memories, you know I used to see this show advertised and he was in a lot of the commercials. But if you ask me how he fits into the show overall, I still have no clue. So that'll be interesting to see. Obviously not in a, a friendly way. Yeah, obviously they aren't really got to a good start here in these first couple episodes. <laughs> no, if they become best friends later, we've, we've got some character development to do. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they didn't think Crace was a good enough villain. Although he kind of was. They had some you know good episodes with you know, him and Crichton going head to head and that one and other stuff. But maybe they just thought they needed some extra punch or extra evilness or something that... Uh, Crace couldn't give them they definitely you know shuffled him off i mean he if you look at the overall number of episodes he wasn't in that many i don't know if they got bored with him or or just couldn't come up with any ideas 
Yeah, so it'd be fun to see, I guess, how that evolves, because obviously they're still part of the of the show. You know, they're both still alive, or they're both still present in the same area. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes. we got two more episodes to go this season, plus three more seasons after this. Um, I guess towards the end, I guess like I said in the com- in the commentary a couple of times, um, Shanna just blatantly burns Javio to death, basically. Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, she had the weapons, right? So I guess when he shot at her and she dodged and it set off, I guess, the fuel line or something, whatever it was, you know, she used that and basically like just burned him alive, which is you. But hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah, you know, we definitely have another character who's not afraid to do what they feel like they have to do without worrying about being nice. You know, it, it does kind of push John out again as being kind of one of our few, if not the only character that would probably hesitate in that situation. The rest of our crew doesn't seem to have any compunctions against killing. So, yeah, I mean, they're all like you know warriors or peacekeepers, well, you know, former peacekeepers. Rigel, recovering anarchists. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she might not have a problem. Rigel, maybe not. Well, I don't think we've seen him hurt anybody yet. I bet if he could pull it off, he'd do it. Yeah, if push came to shove, I'm sure he would. You know, since he's like the the self uh, self serving, not self serving, but well, yeah, I guess we, can, he's, we can, sometimes he's self serving. So yeah, I guess if if worse came to worse, yeah, I mean, if, if it's him or somebody else, yeah, I mean, I guess you know, he's gonna preserve himself. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah, and then take the stuff. Yeah, that's how. He, yep. so. And kind of in the again with the action packed show, you know, Chana just flambes Flavio, and then poof, she's back on Moya, and Aaron's already recovering from getting the tissue sample so more kind of tell don't show but again you know this thing was so jam-packed full of stuff that that's fine you know it's good well, enough we we needed to get to the the part you know for the closing credits where she asked where Crichton is because that's that's the big closer yeah they just kind of say like you know she used some kind of secret corridor or you know blind spots that Jelena once again made for everybody so you know Jelena is like the, the MacGuffin you know that fixes everything she, that's her skill set right yeah, she's the, she's the tech girl. She she texts the tech. She solves all the technical problems. That, that means she can't hang around long. Oops. Uh, well, <laughs> spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and to wrap this this episode up, I did want to mention: uh, was it me, or uh, was there a lot a different scene transition used in these episodes? Because I kind of felt like that that seemed different to me. A lot smoother, different kind of fade. It wasn't just a, 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 a straight fade. There was like the other episode, other scene kind of superimposed itself on the scene. I don't know if you noticed that, but that kind of felt different to me. Hmm. No, I don't think I noticed that. I noticed something else that we'll talk about in the next episode as, as I kind of somehow seem to be finding all their little continuity errors or their little behind the scenes things. But yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch for it in the future because it just jumped out at me. I was like watching it going, ooh, that, that feels new and cool. I liked it, but maybe it's been there all the time and I just was sleeping through that part. So, Yeah, I'll have to see if they use it again. And we got two more episodes in the season, so see if they bring it up again. Anything else about part one before we jump into part two? No, I think I've, I've either gotten too close or already hit a couple spoilers, so maybe we should go ahead and slam on to the next one. Sounds good. All right, so season one, episode 20, The Hidden Memory. Moya is still orbiting the planet, keeping it between them and the moon with Gimmick Base, where Crichton is being held prisoner. She cannot starburst or even move since she has just entered full labor. However, Moya is very frightened, and Pilot reports that it's because she has discovered that her baby is not a normal Leviathan. Aaron is awake and slowly recovering from her injury and wants to see Crichton, but the crew then reveals to her that he's being tortured at Gimmick Base in the Aurora chair, or comfy chair. Aaron says that she wants to go down and rescue him against the rest of the crew's advice. She kind of forces her way to that decision, and Dargo and Zahn refuse to let her go alone, so they decide to accompany her in the Prowler. On the base, Crace and Scorpius continue to rip memories from Crichton's mind using the chair. They know that he's holding something back, and Crace is determined to find out what it is. 
Although they think he's withholding information about the wormholes, he's actually trying to keep Jelana safe since it would mean her death if the peacekeepers found out she'd been helping him. Later, Crichton is once again allowed to rest, and in the cell he seems to think Stark was sent by Scorpius to spy on him. Stark denies the accusation and reveals he's not really crazy. He acts that way so they don't bother him so much. He has, however, made a magnetic crypt encoder from the metals he's collected during the two cycles he's been held, which will unlock the door once it finds the right code. Jelena gets in touch with Crichton, who asks her to find some way to get Scorpius and Crace off his back for a little while. Scorpius' assistant, Neum, is getting the techs in to increase the power of the chair as per Scorpius' orders. Jelena manages to get in the group to assist with the repair, but makes an extra modification before she leaves the room. She contacts John in his cell and tells him he must remember their kiss on Zelbinian when suddenly Scorpius and Crace return for John. Scorpius says he wants to know what John is hiding, but John continues to say he has nothing to hide. Scorpius puts him back in the chair and Crichton remembers the kiss during the torture. Suddenly, Crace appears in the memory. Upon continuing the viewing of the memory, Crace reveals that he wishes to thank John for giving him the wormhole technology, since with it, he has the power to rise to where he should be in the peacekeeper ranks. Scorpius demands an explanation from Crace, who is speechless and denies the memory, claiming it is false. Scorpius retorts that he knows that you can't make things up for the chair. John asks Crace if the game is up and plays along with the memory, revealing to Scorpius that Crace found out about the wormholes when he arrived and exchanged the information for John's life so Crace could rise through the right ranks. Crace persists in saying that it's a lie, but Scorpius says there's only one way to find out the truth, and that is to put Crace in the chair. Crace doesn't believe he'll do it, but Scorpius uses his unconditional authority on the base to persuade Crace's guards to seize him. There's another indication of Crace's, uh, of Scorpius's um, authority, right? He's evidently in charge. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're a peacekeeper or not. If it's time for you to go in the chair, you go in the chair. He get along with that uh, guy from the earlier episode who wanted to mind wipe everybody. Yeah, right. They'll probably get along quite well if they meet later. While Aaron finds a way into the base, leaving Dargo and Zan waiting on the surface, Stark helps ease Crichton's pain in their cell. Stark gives him just a few thoughts, which brings John back from impeding madness. Stark reveals that he's a member of the Bannock slave race who have been virtually wiped out by the peacekeepers. He was kept alive as he was found interesting, but the energy under his mask allows him to hide his feelings and cloud his thoughts. And it's a really cool special effect. Aaron has infiltrated the base and finds Jelena, thanking her for saving her life. Jelena tells her that Scorpius thinks John is blocking a memory of the wormhole technology, but she reveals it's actually to do with her as John is trying to protect Jelena. A short while later, Aaron tells Lieutenant Heskin that she detected a signal coming from Crichton's cell while on Crace's command carrier. He believes there is no signal, but when he scans, he picks up the signal from Stark's magnetic encoder, so he opens the cell. Aaron knocks him out and takes Stark and John away. Although Crace's memories proved that, that his alliance with Crichton was a fabrication, they also show everyone that he killed Lieutenant Teague, and Neam reveals this is the memory he was trying to hide. A security breach is announced, and Scorpius orders the base sealed so Crichton can't reach the surface. Stark manages to get away, but John, Jelena, and Aaron are forced to hide under the floor. Jelena finds out that they require a senior officer's ident chip to escape, and Aaron goes off in search of one. Back on Moya, Pilot reveals that a vacuum must be created inside of Moya for her to give birth. He probably should have mentioned that earlier. Without enough time to reach Pilot's den, China and Rigel have to hide together in a pressure tank. Pilot reveals that he can see the child, and Moya gives birth. In her search, Aaron finds Crace in the chair, and she asks him if he is now irreversibly contaminated. 
He says that he is still her superior officer and she will release him. Aerith tells him that she is no longer a peacekeeper and she lost everything because of him. But everything she has learned since she went on Moya has made her realize that being a peacekeeper means nothing to her anymore and she will never go back. She takes his identity chip and as Kreis says he will track her down and kill her. She replies that she will show him by giving him his life and she cranks up the chair, leaving Kreis screaming and leaves without looking back. And that's probably my favorite part of this episode. I love it. It, it definitely was good closure for Aaron, wasn't it? Jelena asks John if he wants to be with Aaron, and she needs to know before she gives up everything. But Aaron arrives before John can answer. As they escape, Jelena asks Aaron if she wants to be with John, and Aaron avoids the question, saying if she doesn't go with them, she will be killed. Jelena says she can take care of herself and runs off. Moya, meanwhile, is repressurized, but the portion of the offspring isn't able to get past a vent. Pilot gets a visual of the offspring, and we see it is covered in weapons. When Dargo broke the contraceptive shield half a cycle ago, the catalyst released must have contained the DNA to produce weapons. Pilot cannot say who will control the male offspring as it panics and charges its weapons to try and break free. China goes down to try and help but tells Pilot the only way to cut it free is allow it to fire a low-level blast. China escapes the duck and the offspring breaks free and everyone is unharmed. On the surface, a shootout ensues. John reveals his secret memory to Stark and Stark reveals he was hiding the memory of the place he lived as a boy. As everyone is escaping following the crossfire, Scorpius grabs John, saying he cannot leave with them. Jelena appears, but she hesitates, and Scorpius shoots her. This distraction allows John to break free. Scorpius runs for cover, and John picks up Jelena and carries her away. The crew return to Moya, where Pilot says Jelena scrambled the channels before she left, so no one will be able to detect Moya for a while. However, they cannot move very far and are unable to starburst with the offspring. Pilot confirms that Moya's child is a boy, and he is in good health. However, it is clear he is far from normal, as his appearance is a cross between a regular Leviathan and a peacekeeper ship. John asks Jelena why she came back for them. She says she realized that they would have found her out and killed her. She tells him that she loves him, and as Stark enters, Stark shows her the place he once saw and eases her pain, and she says it's a beautiful place. Zan and Stark leave them alone when Jelena asks John if, if John would have loved her if things had been different. He says yes, and she asks for one last kiss before passing away little trivia for this episode, there was a power cut in the studio directly after filming the scene between Aaron and Crace in the Aurora chair. Claudia Black remembers saying, there was one revolution of the chair and Lanny was screaming and we lost power. The entire unit shut down. We lost light, the chair stopped, and there's Crace in the chair. It was a classic moment, a blood-curdling scream, and the power stopped. Also, visual effects director Paul Butterworth was able to use some new techniques for the approach to gamut base. The base itself was a large matte painting projected onto 3D geometry so you could actually do flyovers of it. So essentially, rather than build everything in a detailed 3D form, we could get away with the painting. Production designer Ricky Ayers remembers the design of Moya's Baby saying, The design for it came about fairly rapidly. I had a wealth of Farscape reference, a Bible, to draw from. One idea was for the exterior of the ship to become chrome so that it had an inbuilt cloaking device. Ultimately, what we tried to do was imagine what that he was either going to be something that looked Peacekeeper-like in Moya's colors or something that looked Moya-like in Peacekeeper colors. Also, the reference to Peacekeeper Barbie was definitely from Ben, recalls Rockney O'Bannon. None of us knew when we were writing it that Scorpius would have a beautiful, long-haired assistant. Ben walked on the set, saw her, and came out with that. It was a total Benism, and it was absolutely perfect. He continued to note that the whole second language, there's a whole second language to the show. You refer to things using references to other stuff. 99% of the time, when you're plotting a regular show, you can't make those sort of references. But on Farscape, 
we had the opportunity to use it because we wanted John Crichton to represent us. His cocky attitude was the perfect opportunity to introduce that sort of stuff. Finally, Rigel's hand on the fogged window is a spoof from the scene in the car in the 1997 movie Titanic. The idea was thought up by Rigel's puppeteer, John Cleston. So, Eric, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I guess being the second of the, the two-parter, and it's about as jammed full of stuff as the first one. So this is, I guess, kind of like, like, it could be like a mini-movie, basically, if you put both of them together. But yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, it was probably one of the better ones that we've seen so far this season. You know, a lot of action, a lot of callbacks still. You know, we had last episode. You know, a lot of great acting. You know, like I said before, everyone loves to overreact in the comfy chair, scream and wrinkle your eyes and, you know, sweat and drool. So yeah, it was fun. And, and knock out the power, evidently. Yeah, apparently it's <laughs> you can scream so loud you can shut down the power on the set. <laughs> All right, so where to start? Uh, I guess we can go back to the beginning of the episode. So, you know, last episode, Aaron gets the nerve regenerator, and she's still a little weak. And I don't know how many minutes or whatever since that, but now she's, like, up and getting ready to get dressed in peacekeeper clothes and ready to go assault the base on her own. Yeah, I mean, they, they did take a couple of, of times where they pointed out that she was still not at 100%, but she pretty quickly got back in action, right? I mean, it didn't take her long to be a functioning peacekeeper. Yeah, I mean, from all the running around, again, all the running that she was doing on the base, yeah, and you wouldn't have known that, you know, she was you know, near death like yesterday, right? But hey. Yeah, where's the fun if we, we got to sit there for an hour, right? Or, you know, a, a couple of days before we go saving. We, we don't have that kind of time. Yeah, I mean, this is so action-packed that you can't be like, you know, have her like, oh, fall down or stumble. It's like, nope. Okay, yeah, she's kind of a little weak, a little you know, woozy or whatever. Okay, go, go, go. <laughs> I'd say, like you had said last time, that really wasn't the plot, basically, is Aaron's nerve damage. That was just a, de- a device to get them there. And then, okay, we'll just, now all the fun starts. So And, and a great episode title. Um, yeah. It does also make me question just how much room is in a prowler? <laughs> I kind of got the feeling it was a two-seater, and now we've got three people. So is it larger on the inside? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they took a, a transport pod down when they went, like all three of them went down. But yeah, when two of them went down, I guess last episode, yeah, they, I guess they could fit on Aaron's prowler. But yeah, I mean, still. That's true, because on the way back, they had to have room for John and evidently for Stark and a body of, or, you know, a recovering, or not recovering, but uh Decovering, um, yeah, Jelena. So yeah, pretty much everybody but uh, Rigel, right? Everybody was down there except for him and China. That's true. She didn't come back. Yeah. So and of course, pilot who can't leave his little pilot den. So poor pilot. Yeah, I guess he didn't really have much to do other than be like, you know, boy is scared. I'm like, okay, yeah, great. Well, he piloted the whole episode. So yeah. that's you know that's his job. You know, his, his name and his job. Uh, so I guess I guess we'll see if Stark hangs around. Um, I don't. I can't remember. But uh, what do, what do you think about him? Uh, apparently he's not quite as uh, crazy as he lets on and i guess you know the chair doesn't really affect him apparently so he just kind of plays along and kind of likes being in the chair which is i guess weird but okay well i i think that was just a a play but who knows as far as you know whether we'll see him more of him or not i'm not really sure right i mean this show's really good at having really interesting characters that we may or may not see again we've got the ancient we've got an evil wizard on some planet you know there's there's quite a few characters floating around out there that could come back at any point, but he, I, I enjoyed him. I'll, I'll tell you what I, I really thought of, and I, I actually looked up the actor to try to make sure I wasn't like crazy based on the time this show came out, but he really reminded me of uh, Dwight Schultz, Howie Mad Murdoch, and that I really wanted to, to go look and make sure that we weren't getting a, him in makeup. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same idea. Like He was playing 
the way he played him was kind of like, yeah, Murdoch being quote unquote, you know, insane in the A team, you know, and they having that kind of just weird outbursts of craziness, and then he's fine. And then, but yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, hey, wow, he looks like, uh, or he acts like um, Dwight Schultz. Yeah. <laughs> and his whole plan of like, okay, I, I finally, after two years, built this device to crack this code, I guess, on the hollow. And Craig's like, yeah, good luck with that or whatever. But I guess once he got out, then what? <laughs> I don't think he well, thought that far ahead. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's not he's that conspicuous. I mean, he's just you know got a big mask over his face to hide his glowing half a head. So you know, he blends right in. Yeah, and that was cool. At least they're they're good at making interesting supporting characters. You know, Chiana had an interesting backstory when she appeared. If, you know, for the first episode, you're like, "Wow, why is he wearing a mask? Is he like dis- disfigured, or you know, half his face is gone, or what?" And well, yeah, I guess half his face is gone. It's just replaced with some kind of energy, white, bubbly energy kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it it, it was a great character design. It just you know, and and the mask lets him not have to worry about it for most of the time, right? They, they oh, he's just got a guy with a mask. So yeah, and they kind of explain it away, sort of like you know, he's the last of his people or whatever so it's like okay we got another orphan hanging around so you can't really you know do they all have that energy thing on their in their head or is this just something special for him who knows maybe, maybe if we see him later we'll get more on him who knows and uh, i did kind of comment before when you were doing the recap that i, I love the fact that Crace got his comeuppance and got shoved in the horror chair <laughs> And the fact that Scorpius, you know, didn't do it himself. He said, you know, you, you have to go in the chair. We'll find out what you're thinking. And then basically coerced, scared to death, f- forced Crace's own command staff to shove him in the chair. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, which, you know, was, was, did a couple things, right? It it gave us more information about how Scorpius functions, but also it, it definitely reemphasized his level of power. Th- those soldiers didn't hesitate. I mean, these are, you know, the personal guard of a captain and... They grabbed their captain and threw him in a chair. So Scorpius evidently has some pull. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, you know, like the usual, like, you know, I'll do anything for my captain. You're not doing anything. It's like, okay, he's all yours. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> We're out. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically Riker just threw Picard in the chair. So, That's right. You know. <laughs> Which then obviously dovetails into the probably other really favorite-ish scene of the episode where, you know, Aaron deals with Chris later. Again, if you didn't see anything before, probably got the idea because she kind of explains why she's doing it and, you know, that he has no more authority over her. But obviously for us who've watched the whole season and know how much he pretty much screwed her over back in the first episode and, and so, so so forth, it was great. I guess, like you said, kind of closure. Like, you know, she got to basically tell him off and like, you know, you mean nothing to me anymore. Oh, by the way, enjoy reviewing all your memories. Crank it up to 11 and walk out the door <laughs> while he's screaming right. in the background. And... You know, it, you, it's really if you don't, you don't even have to go that far back. I guess is what I'm trying to say to see that she hadn't reached that level of comfort with her new life. If you go look at um, the one with the ancients, is the one I'm thinking of, right? Where um, her and John, and, and you know, he was trying to get her to, to go with him and do the wormhole and, and all that kind of stuff, and she wasn't ready. And you know, now we've reached this point. Not that she's ready to necessarily abandon everything and go with John, but she's reached that level where she's let go of being a peacekeeper, mm-hmm. and that's a big jump from that and her reaction to the, I should remember, what's the captain that, that Kreit was impersonating? But anyway, you know, we've seen quite a few recent episodes where she was not yet ready to let go. And we've definitely mm-hmm. reached the point where she's done with it now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's great character growth. I mean, it, and it, it makes sense, right? It, it makes logical sense. You know, she started out, you know, the hardcore peacekeeper, wait, what? I'm excommunicated. I'm, I'm contaminated, ir- ir- irreversibly contaminated. You know, what? You know, okay, I guess I'll kill myself. No, no. And they, they, 
knock her out or convince her to go with him or whatever. And, you know, she's always been thinking maybe she could go back or at least reminiscing about, you know, the, her times with the peacekeepers or whatever. And, and then slowly it evolves into, I guess, before this started, like when The Rock and the other peacekeepers came on board, she was just talking and kind of wishing that, well, it might be nice to go back, but she knew it wasn't going to happen, that, the, you know, that life is over. So, you know, she's, she's, she, you know, it's a nice progression of her accepting what's happened and also realizing after she's seen all the horrors the peacekeepers have done over the last 20 episodes that I'm in a much better place. So, you know, you know what? Screw you, Chris. You, know, you have more power over me. So, uh, you know, I'm out. Peacekeeper out. <laughs> that's right. Peacekeeper out. <laughs> Not like she dropped the mic and left effectively, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then I think I talked about it before when uh, I, I caught like a little... For some reason, I, I catch all the, not bloopers, but like weird production issues. When they're hiding under the floor, like under the under the grate, you know, grates on the floor, when they get out and open up the grate, you can see like a string, like one of those like invisible kind of strings holding the grate when they open it. I don't know if maybe because it was a real grate, so it was kind of heavy. So either they were helping the actors, you know, move it back and forth so they wouldn't get tired or hurt themselves or to keep it from crashing over and banging on the floor because it's probably made out of metal. But I'm like... Uh, continuity or you know, where are you? oh production error that, that, that's a great catch because i didn't i didn't see that when i was watching it's like when you catch like boom mic shadows on people's heads or something it's like hey and i guess another kind of funny scene when of course like he said you know moira's gotta be in a vacuum to have birth oh tell me that four seconds before the vacuum shows up so they get stuck in this little pressure tank and yeah rigel's being Rigel. Yeah, Rigel's being, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Rigel's being Rigel and messing with Chiana or whatever. And she's just like, ew, get away from me. <laughs> or, you know, get me out of here. But we can't. And then I guess obviously as things get more anxious and nervous, and again, as a callback to other episodes, like we talked about before, uh, when Rigel's nervous, they bring out the fact that he farts helium. And they start talking in that squeaky high voice again, which is hilarious. Yeah, it, which you know that was pretty good timing because they're building you know some pretty good suspense and and you know high nerves and everything, and then we get the helium scene. So you know it kind of kind of gives you a breath before you go into the rest of the birth. Yeah, I mean they, they do a pretty good job with the action and then punctuate with the humor or like a, a just off the wall kind of thing, and then get back to the action. You know, that's yep. I guess like the, the the Farscape you know playbook, right? And the references to pop culture stuff that you know, even if, even if the microbes translated it into whatever language they speak, people would be like, "Comfy chair? What are you talking? About? It's not comfy." You know. Well, and you can tell they love their pop culture culture references because you know I didn't even catch, but the the scene that on the glass was supposed to represent or supposed to be a callback to Titanic. But goodness, hey, I haven't seen Titanic in a long time, so I probably didn't catch it. But yeah, you know, it's kind of cool that when you know about the little callbacks they're throwing in. Yeah, I mean, people may have caught it back then because it was like 99 versus 97 when the movie came out and was like the biggest movie since, you know, Celluloid was made. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, 20 plus years later, I didn't catch that either. Uh, and I guess the, the final big deal, you know, Moya's finally given birth after, I don't know, half a season or whatever it's been, right? That they've been talking about it and slowly dropping things here and there. Finally, we're the proud parents of a baby armed to the teeth leviathan apparently yeah i'm i'm, I'm really looking forward to a, a second ship when he gets bigger that we can you know split the crew we can do all kind of cool things and now we have a firepower so assuming they can actually find a way to control him right because the problem is we don't have a pilot can aaron use her dna to control him or you know we've got some some options i guess but you know, how does that work if you have a leviathan without a pilot yeah and we don't really have any clue about like the leviathan life cycle right like how long are they young 
you know, are they like human babies where, you know, their parents helpless for years or are they like deer or cows that come out and stand up and start walking around? You know, it's like, who knows? Yeah. And you're right. I mean, we don't even know how old Moya is. So that's true. Yeah. And you know, how long do they have to be growing and mature before they can have a, like a pilot or something join with them to do whatever pilots do besides pilot and just say Moya's scared all the time. You know, I don't know how long that takes. <laughs> And I guess what they said were that the Peacekeeper Medallion or the Peacekeeper Block, you know, whatever, contraceptive or whatever on Moya, did more than just keep her from being pregnant. Uh, it must have, they must have been working on something to try to rewrite Leviathan DNA or something to include weapons. So are they trying, is this just like a one-off experiment or is this like a larger thing where they're trying to weaponize Leviathans, right, to help augment their Peacekeeper fleet or something? Yeah, and, and given the fact that it's got weapons, they're going to have a different temperament. You know, is it going to, he mentions about controlling him. You know, it'd be interesting to see how they can figure that part out. Is it something that they can take advantage of, or is he just going to be a, a loose cannon, for lack of a better word? Yeah, right. <laughs> a, a true loose cannon. Yeah. Right. An actual loose Yeah, because, like, you know, obviously Moya is like the, you know, weaponless, so she's more calm, kind, to lack of a better word. You know, obviously, when she was pregnant, she tried to kill everybody, but that's, you know, extending circumstances. You know, usually it's Moya's like a nice portrayal. And then, yeah, so is this now, like, yeah, like he said, like, like the, the hot headed warrior, you know, blast first, charge forward. You know, he, he tried to basically shoot, you know, mom to get out. So you don't know. Yeah. Don't know. Guess we'll find out. Yeah. You know, see how long this lasts, or, you know, we'll find out maybe next couple episodes if he hangs around, or does he, like, Starburst on his own, and just, like everybody else, if Starburst is truly just random, he just disappears, and, oh, well, he went somewhere, <laughs> right? What is it, the ball of probability wherever he's needed, you know, as we've established, so, to the point, the speed of plot, so. That's right. Any other comments in general on this episode, or just over the, both of them? No, I, I think we've, you know, commented a lot on, on our, everything that we liked. Uh, we definitely got our first, as you, you mentioned earlier, our first two-parter. So it's kind of nice to see if that them start that. And the fact that they didn't hold the two-parter for the season finale is kind of different too, right? Because, you know, it, we see that a lot these days, that part one will be the cliffhanger for the season. And then you got to wait till next season starts before we get the second part of the cliffhanger. And in this case, we got not the, the, the last, but kind of the next to last couple episodes being our two-parter, our first two-parter. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it makes you hope, hope that, you know, the final two episodes, or at least the final one here next time, will be even better than this one, right? If they knew what they were doing, then maybe they kind of teased you with this one, like, wow, they can't top this. Okay, stay tuned for next week. Right. But yeah, I'll agree. I mean, these were two great episodes, or one big one, however you want to look at it. Definitely a lot of great scene chewing by the uh, people being tortured in the chair. So that's always fun. And like we said before, you know, tons of action and, you know, with the usual Farscape comedy sprinkled in here and there. And if you've watched these first 20 episodes, it was just callback central. I mean, you know, everything you've watched for the last half a year was just remember this, remember that? Hey, here's this person. Here's that person. Here's this thing, that thing. Got a lot of plot points resolved that we've been building up for the last 20 episodes, and now we got some new ones to look forward to. Yeah, and some may get resolved quicker than others. We'll find out next time. Yeah, because the uh, you know love triangle of Jelena and Aaron and Crichton, that's done, so that's out. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes it's good to close a loop, right? I mean, you don't want everybody in the, the galaxy out there floating around to pop back up. So I, I like the character, but I think she had served her purpose, you know, 
Yeah, and you know, while Moya is a gigantic ship, I guess you just can't bring along everybody that you meet. Otherwise, it'd just be kind of cluttered and chaotic. So, you just trot out this person when you need them for this away mission. Yeah, <laughs> I remember this person. We picked him up ten episodes ago. Yeah, they've been wandering around Moya for the last uh, year, just kind of you know off there somewhere. And you know, it's, she's so big, they're just on a different deck. We never saw them again. But yeah, they're still around. No. All right. So, like we said, next time the big, gigantic. Larger than life, pulse pounding season finale of Farscape season one. We'll be covering episode 21, Bone to be Wild, not born. And season one, episode 22, Family Ties, part one. So I guess if we're playing the usual guessing game, I guess Bone to be Wild, it's like a play on Born to be Wild. Uh, I know that's a Steppenwolf song from the 60s. Uh, if they want to drop the title in there somewhere, I don't know if Crichton's going to sing some lyrics or something. Eh, probably not. And then Family Ties. I mean, obviously, it's not the uh, Michael J. Fox sitcom from the 80s, so probably something family-ish. So obviously, we got a new family, Moya and her baby. Uh, we have some kind of extended family, even, if you want to count Crace and Scorpius, who are still out there, and you know they, their relationship to John. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, so I'll be honest and say I misread that as Born to be Wild, not Bone to be Wild. And therefore, my first thought was that it had something to do with Moya's offspring. And then with family ties, that was on my brain. So I went with family there. So I had both of these paid as to do with the, the new baby Leviathan, but you know, maybe it'd be hard to control and more aggressive, hence the wild part. But bone now, I, uh, I, I'm stuck. So I'm probably just completely wrong on all accounts and we'll prove that next time. Yeah. And we'll see how much continuity they do because they've been pretty good. So if they're still, they still can't starburst and now they're hanging out with a, a little one and, and mom who can't go anywhere and who knows stay tuned in two weeks and you'll find out all right so that is your homework get ready for the big season finale next week well two weeks and we'll see you next time